how motorcycle valve adjustments can be inconvenient at best and a pain in the butt and rather expensive at worst. I mean, you're either going to have to do it yourself or you're going to have to pay someone else to do it. And that's going to have to go over and over for the life of the motorcycle. But not all motorcycles require valve adjustments. So why is it that so many bikes out there do require them when other ones don't require them at all? And what happens if you decide to just skip over your valve clearance check? If you do your own valve clearance check, where do you set the gap? Do you set it at the narrowest range, the middle, or the widest range? And what do these valves do anyway? If you're not into engines, what exactly is the whole point of adjusting valves? Well, we're going to dig into all these questions and a lot more today to get a better understanding of what makes our motorcycles tick, literally. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Adventure Rider Radio, I'd like to ask three things of you. Subscribe, rate, and donate. Subscribe, rate, and donate. Go to wherever you get your podcast from, whether it be Podbean or iTunes, and make sure you click the subscribe button. And then rate us. Give us a rating. Let people know what you think of the show. And third, consider becoming an Adventure Rider Radio supporter. We have our patron set up. It's just a once a month thing. You don't have to put that much money down, a couple of dollars, $10, whatever you want. And let us focus more on content for you by helping support the show. Thanks. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. And Best Rest is also the North American distributor for Google Tech filters. Visit them online at www.cyclepump.com. That's cyclepump.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manning. I'm Phil. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Pat James. Trevor Trance. Nick Sandy. Nathan Millwood. Lyndon Poskett. Simon Payton. Raymond Coach Stroud. Sterling Noreen. Brad Johnson. Thank you. King. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. You can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free at www.maxbmw.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any bag into motorcycle luggage using a unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, and that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com greenchiliadv.com On this episode, we're going to tackle some technical aspects of motorcycle engines, in particular valves. Now, hopefully we've managed to lay this out in layman's terms so that if you're not up to speed on engines and how they work, or even if you're not really interested in it, it'll still make sense to you. We're going to tackle some important questions for all motorcycle owners. Things like, why do we need to adjust valves at all? And why don't we do it in most cars? How can we tell if the previous owner has checked the valves? What happens if we go past that factory set mileage for valve clearance checks? And is there any way to tell if the valves are out of adjustment without actually measuring them? Well, we're going to answer all these questions and many more. To help us explain all of this and sort of get it into layman terms, we enlisted the help of a fellow named Carl Engelener. 
Now, Carl spent the better part of his adult life working on motorcycle engines. Yes, sir. That's Carl. He's retired now. Recently retired. But up until then, he had a thriving business where he was working yeah. on motorcycle engines every day. For many, many years, owned motorcycle machining specialties in Sacramento. And of course, he had his specialty, which is why we bring him in here. Yes, classic engine rebuilding and performance tuning primarily, but also uh, general service work on most brands. And although Carl's retired, he's still working on engines. He brought some of his shop equipment back to his home, and he's still machining parts, only now it's for race motorcycles and things that he wants to do. Yes, I am. I have a couple of uh, race bikes, a couple of Aramaki 350 classic uh, racers that I'm very much involved in, and uh, also uh, do work for some of the shops that I was uh, closely involved with uh, during my employment years, and, uh, you know, close friends and people that uh, come by for help, and uh, have all my equipment here at home. So yeah, I still keep pretty busy and involved in, in motorcycle engine work. The business that Carl just retired from was called Motorcycle Machining Specialties, which just like the name suggests, specialized in machine work. That's right. My uh, real emphasis was on the machining aspect of the engine rebuilding. In other words, uh, uh, very much like an automotive machine shop where if you needed a crankshaft to rebuild, you would pull the crankshaft out and bring it to me. Uh, I didn't really uh, get involved in pulling engines or reinstalling engines. Uh, if they pull the engine out, I, I would dismantle it, reassemble it, but uh, pretty much stuck with cylinder boring, valve jobs, crankshaft rebuilding, and uh, things of that nature. And of course, now you understand why we asked Carl to come on the show and talk about this. Carl, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Yes, thank you. So obviously, when you rebuild engines for a living, you need to understand fully how they work. But I guess over those years, you see a lot of worn parts and broken parts come in, in particular with a valve train, which we're talking about today, and you understand what affects them and maybe things you can do to prevent problems down the road. Yeah, it's, it's a very uh, important part of any engine uh, building uh, in the port stroke uh, is the valve gear, the valve train, the cam, and how all that's set up, and uh, that it's all the specification, and you really have to watch the wear on those parts closely, yeah. Of course, by watching the wear and understanding that, you can understand what's happening to the valve train. Yes, that's right. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why uh, we still adjust the valves. Uh, it's one of the reasons that the uh, valve adjustment is one of the few maintenance items that's still actually left in the hands of the owner. Unlike the ignition and the now they, with the coming of the electronic fuel injection, that's all been taken over. There's very little for the average owner to do. But in the valve train, because the valves are really under a lot of stress, they work in an extremely uh, hostile environment, there's always a certain amount of, of wear that can't be uh, taken into account and that will occur. And so it's uh, just necessary to go into the valve uh, train and adjust the valve clearance or the valve lash as it's known because it's something that the, that the manufacturer uh, just can't anticipate uh, at, at the rate that that's going to occur in any particular engine. And because the the lash setting will control uh, some very key parameters uh, within the within the valve gear, it, it's absolutely necessary that that be checked on a more or less regular basis, yeah. 
You know, if you don't understand much about engines and, and motorcycles in general, I mean, as far as the technical aspects of it, it would be easy to look at things like our modern motorcycles and see this, the things they're doing with them. The ABS for systems are so complex. They even recognize the newer ones if the bike is leaning over into a corner. We've got computerized control. We've got onboard computers that, that tell us everything that's going on with this. We've got computers that monitor our traction control. And it seems bizarre that with all this technology, all these things being changed and modified to make these incredibly reliable machines that we ride, that we still have this valve adjustment. They haven't managed to, you know, sort of conquer that. You know, it, it can be handled in several ways. One, of course, is the hydraulic lifter, uh, which has been used in, in automotive engines for years and years and in some motorcycle engines as well. But engines that run a hydraulic lifter, a hydraulic lash adjustment uh, uh, capability, they're generally not uh, top-of-the-line, high-performance engines per se. They're more uh, average general-use engines, touring engines, things of that nature, where the valve gear and the way it functions and the precision of that function is not as critical, so they can get away with with uh, letting the hydraulics take up the wear is what you're basically taking up with the hydraulic uh, adjuster. Uh, as the engine uh, accumulates miles, there will always be a certain amount of wear, especially at the valve face, valve seat interface, uh, and they just let the hydraulic uh, system deal with it that way. But on an engine uh, that is a high-performance engine, race engine, that dimension is so critical and the function of that camshaft lobe and how it acts on the valve is so critical that it, it, it's probably not cost effective to try to computerize that and monitor the lash. I'm, I'm sure it could be done. I'm sure some automatic device for you know adjusting the lash as, as the engine was running could be done, but the cost would be very high and and probably prohibitive uh, in most cases. So uh, the lash adjustment in performance engines is probably uh, going to be with us for a while. Well, let's back up and talk about, from a layman's perspective, exactly what the valves do in the engine, why we have them in very layman's terms. Sure. Uh, the valves uh, are the uh, opening, the doors, if you will, to the passages that are going to bring in air and fuel into the motor on the one side, that would be the intake side, and it would be the door that opens to the passage that will allow the exhaust to expel from the engine. That, of course, would be the exhaust valve uh, onto the exhaust port. So we have the valves there in order to allow mixture to come in, and then we will seal that off, and that will trap the mixture in the combustion chamber, in the cylinder in the combustion chamber, and we can compress it, ignite it, and burn it. And then after we've used all the energy that, that we feel we need to derive from that process, we open the exhaust valve, expel out the burnt mixture, and get ready to reintroduce through the intake uh, valve and intake side of the motor and reintroduce a fresh charge. And then the cycle will just repeat itself. And this is all happening extremely quickly. Extremely quickly. And that's the other... Uh, thing that ties into the valve adjustment, you know, an engine that's running at 3,000 RPMs, uh, which is not very high, and for most sport engines, it's, it's just barely coming away from idle, getting up into the real power of the engine, but 
a four-stroke engine that's turning 3,000 RPMs, the valve is opening and closing 25 times a second. Uh, and an engine turning 8,000 RPMs, it, it will be close to 70 times a second. So, yeah, it's very fast. Uh, the valves have a fair amount of load on them from the valve spring. There's a certain amount of uh, pressure that the spring is exerting on the valve, just holding it onto to the seat. And then when the camshaft is rotating to open the valve, then uh, the pressure increases and it can get as high as 200 to 450, even higher pounds of pressure against the camshaft while the, when the peak of the camshaft or the nose of the cam, as it's called, is uh, going uh, over the, the peak of the lobe. So yeah, the, the things happen fast and there's a lot of load on the valve train uh, at the same time. So digging a little deeper here, you're talking these extreme conditions the valves are in. There's a lot of demands on them, isn't there? They're, they're, um, they have to open yeah. and close very quickly. And as you said um, many, many times, a second even, even at lower RPMs. What are some of the challenges from the design aspect for valves? Well, primarily, uh, in order to control the kind of power characteristics that we want the engine to have, we need those valves to open and close at specific times. And we want to lift them to a, a certain height in order to give enough area for the incoming mixture and the outgoing exhaust so it's not choking off trying to get in or out of the engine. So uh, we, we have to um, control that timing somehow. Uh, the time uh, in, in relation to the crankshaft position where each valve opens and where each valve closes and that is controlled by the camshaft, the grind of the camshaft lobe. Uh, but not only that, the, uh, because we are running clearance in that system, as we were talking about the, letting the uh, valve rest up against its seats, we have that lash built in, and that lash has to be taken up relatively gently. You can't just slam the lobe uh, because uh, catastrophic failure would, would quickly ensue. So when you have lash in an engine, let's say you have an engine running 6,000 lash on, on, a, on a valve, let's say an intake valve, that clearance has to be taken up relatively smoothly. You have to bring those two parts together, the, the, uh, the cam and whatever is acting on the valve, whether it's an adjuster or, or a bucket or whatever, that, that clearance has to be taken up relatively gently. You have to bring those parts together relatively gently, and then you have to start that valve accelerating. And once you have that clearance taken up and, and actually starting to lift off the seat, then you can start increasing the rate of lift and really start getting that valve moving, but you can't do it all at once. So uh, that is the other reason why we need to keep a close eye on the lash. If the lash is not correct, you will either uh, not leave the valves on the seat long enough and or you will have uh, an too early of a contact between the the uh, ramp, as it's called, and the valve, 
or if the lash is too big, you're going to overshoot the ramp and you're just going to go right onto the flank of the cam, which is where the actual lifting is going to take place. And then uh, you will quickly wear out the system. Can you talk a bit about why most cars don't need valve adjustments, why we're not getting their valves adjusted on a regular basis, and what type of valve adjustments we find on motorcycle engines, and are there motorcycle engines that don't need valve adjustments? Yeah, the uh, automotive uh, engines, there are quite a few that do need valve adjustments. Uh, uh, my own, uh, my wife's own Honda uh, uses a uh, flat tappet. Uh, the camshaft is riding right on a flat tappet, and, and those do need adjustment. So not all automotive engines uh, don't need adjustment, but the vast majority run a hydraulic lash adjustment system of some kind, usually a, a, a hydraulic lifter. The hydraulic mechanism is in the valve lifter that contacts the camshaft, and that hydraulic lifter takes up the lash, uh, takes up the, the slack in the valve crane. In motorcycle engines, there are quite a few. The Harley-Davidson Big Twins, uh, almost all, run a hydraulic valve adjuster. Uh, they're roller tappet, uh, but they're hydraulic. Uh, the V-rod, uh, v I believe, is not. I, be, I believe the V-rods have adjustment screws on them, but uh, I'm not that familiar with the V-rod, but I know it is an overhead cam situ situation, and I, it's quite different than, than the Big Twins. But the Harley-Davidson Big Twins, for sure, and I, I think the Indian and, and some of the other uh, Big Twins uh, run them also, and that's how they get away with it. They just run a hydraulic tappet adjuster, but again, those are not necessarily high-performance engines. They're moderate, in a moderate state of tune. They're not turning that fast. And so we can get away with it with that kind of adjuster because we don't need the precision that a uh, uh, mechanical uh, uh, lift device, a mechanical tappet device uh, requires. As for the types of valve gear that we have in the motorcycle, engines they they come down to basically three different types you have the uh traditional old style like your nortons triumphs bsas and those kind of those kind of engines the armaki uh that are a uh a cam in the block with a tappet riding on the cam a flat tappet or could be even be a roller tappet and then you'll have a push rod and rocker arms and the rocker arms will contact uh, the valve directly. Uh, and there will usually be some sort of an adjustment up on the rocker arm where you can take up the lash or uh, take up the slack and adjust your lash at either where the uh, rocker contacts the valve or as, it, as is the case in the Aramakis, the adjustment is actually on the rocker or on the pushrod side. So you're, you will adjust the uh, lash at the push rod rather than at the valve, but, but you wind up with the same situation. You're going to measure the clearance between the valve and the rocker arm and make your adjustment there uh, regardless of that type. And the other type of would be the overhead cam where you have either a direct acting where the cam rides directly on a bucket in the head that may or may not have a shim on top of it or a shim underneath it that rides on the valve stem. Or you could have an interposed rocker uh, like some of the Suzuki's and Honda's and I think some of the Kawasaki's do where the camshaft is riding on a uh, 
rocker arm that pivots on one end. There will be a, a rubbing block uh, toward the middle of the rocker arm, and then the end of the rocker arm will act on the valve. And again, you'll have either an adjuster on the end of that rocker, or there'll be a shim uh, setup uh, of some sort on the end of the valve, and we'll make our adjustments there. So in particular, the difference between, for instance, uh, the V-Twin and the Harley-Davidson and getting into, you know, one of the, the Japanese import bikes or BMW or something, um, a lot of the difference there is RPM. The bikes with the more high-performance engines tend to run uh, higher RPMs. They, they rev out more. And that's when you have to deal with valve train weight, and that affects the choice on hydraulic and, and um, push rods and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that and why overhead cams are so popular in these engines? Yes. Well, the overhead cam... Um, direct result of the fact that we not only want to spin the engine up higher, but they give you a a greater degree of precision in uh, the way that the cam lobe will act on the valve train. Uh, On a a pushrod engine where you have a lifter down in the block, the cam is in the block, and you'll have the lifter and the pushrod and the rocker arm, uh, there's a lot of room for things to bend, to vibrate, to go into harmonics and all sorts of things that can interfere with the precision of the uh, valve train's ability to transmit or translate the cam profile to the valve just as accurately as possible. So the more parts we can eliminate between the cam lobe and the valve itself, uh, the more precision is going to be inherent in that system. And the uh, also in the uh, modern sport bikes, the high-revving sport bikes, the other thing that's happened there is you've gone to four-valve heads uh, rather than two valves. You can split the valves up. They'll both be lighter in weight. You can put lighter valve springs on them. Uh, you don't have to lift them as far to expose the same amount of, of port area to the to the cylinder, and so you can have a camshaft that is uh, quite a bit milder in shape, and consequently uh, a bit easier to grind a a gentle shape or a smooth shape as the as the cam grinders uh, refer it to, that is going to act on the valve train smoothly and still maintain the precision uh, that you need in that valve train. And eliminating all those parts and going to the overhead uh, cam uh, does that to to a great extent. That's why most of the modern performance engines are uh, overhead cam. So why is it when you check the valve adjustment um, that some a lot of times you find that the clearance closes up? You, you have less clearance and sometimes no clearance in, in worst case scenarios. When we think of worn parts, we think of loose things. Well, yes. And you can, you can experience both in, in a valve train. Uh, if, you, if you get wear, you can have, uh, you know, the cam could wear, but you're going to be measuring the clearance while the heel of the cam is presented to the rest of the valve train, whatever the, that turns out to be, whether it's a lifter or a, a bucket or a rocker, an inter, interface rocker, uh, it's going to be facing the heel of the cam. So that isn't an area that's going to uh, wear normally because it's not in contact with the valve train. If you do experience an increase in valve clearance and lash clearance, 
then something has worn in the parts. The, the rocker arm uh, has worn or the tip of the valve has worn or the bucket has worn or something has worn in the valve train that will account for that. But the normal situation is that, that the clearances will tend to tighten up. And it's almost always due to valve, what's called valve regression. And that's caused by the, the wear between the valve and the face the, of the seat. And uh, there's always a certain amount of what they call micro-welding that takes place uh, between the valve face and the valve seat and quite a bit on the exhaust valve. The temperatures are very high. The valves come together. And then when the, when the valve moves away from the seat, uh, it's, it's not uncommon for a microscopic amount of material to want to uh, come off both the valve and the seat. And so over time, you will get a closing up of the valve clearance. The valve will be moving very, very ever so slightly closer to the camshaft and will close up the valve clearance. That's the most normal uh, situation in a valve train. So why is it some bikes are have a, a 6,000 kilometer adjustment, some 12, some 20? Um, why the difference from one to the other if they all experience the similar sort of wear? I think it has a little bit to do with what the engine was designed to do, how it was configured, and also when, the, when they're testing the engines, the manufacturer will know or should know at what rate these engines are wearing. If they, if they build an engine and they dyno that engine for, let's say, a couple of hundred hours, and they find that, wow, we're seeing a little bit of, of uh, wear in one place and another, so it might behoove us to have that clearance, that particular dimension, checked uh, on a more regular basis, they'll advise that. I think what you'll see nowadays is that the valve adjustment intervals are getting longer and longer and longer. Even in the Ducati Desmos, which, uh, boy, if there's a valve train that was ever had to be definitely precisely set up, there's very little room for error in the in the Ducati Desmo valve train. Uh, you will destroy some very expensive parts in very short order if you goof that up. But even in those, you see that the, the valve adjustment interval time has been extended quite dramatically. And, it, and again, it has to do with the fact that, that we're understanding the, the cam profile a lot better, that we're understanding the, the absolute necessity to make all the, the angles of those cam profiles interact very smoothly, that we go from the, from the lash point of the cam, the heel of the cam, onto the onto the closing ramps, onto the flanks where we're actually going to start lifting the cam all the way up to the nose of the cam. That has to be integrated very smoothly so nothing happens uh, instantaneously. It, 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 to us, it, it, it seems like it. If you ever see an engine run with the head off of it, even at idle, it, it just looks like a blurry cylinder hole. I mean, you can barely see the, that there's even a piston in there. But the engines don't see it quite that way. They, they feel all the little microscopic uh, dimensional changes and react to them. And so the, the, the need to make that all smooth uh, in, the, in the way that it interacts is going a long way toward uh, making the modern valve train a, a lot more reliable than, than in the past. But as far as the interval between valve adjustments, 
that is uh, the result of a lot of different factors and, and a lot of study by the manufacturers and uh, you just need to follow that, that routine. We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to come right back. And the next question that we're going to tackle is that one that seems to be really common on the internet. What happens if you decide to go past the mileage the manufacturer specifies before you check your valves? Stay with us. Well, if you weren't in Asheville, Carolina this past weekend... Well, you missed a fantastic show, Overland Expo East. But the next one is Overland Expo West for 2019. And you're going to have to go to their website, www.overlandexpo.com, and check out just what this is all about. But for motorcyclists and overlanders, it is the show to go to, either the East or the West one. And the next East one will be, I imagine, in the fall for next year. But so plan your trip now. Plan for May 17 to 19, 2019, Overland Expo West. Um, It is in Flagstaff, Arizona, once again, Friday 9 to 5, Saturday 8 to 5, Sunday 8 to 3. Uh, It is the overlanding event to go to. I mean, there'll be so much going on. 325 exhibitors, 175 specialized classes, hundreds of experts, motorcycle-specific stuff, Get your tickets in advance because you know what? You have to buy them online. You can't get them at the gate. So www.overlandexpo.com. Check it out. Get your tickets now. Matter of fact, you could do that for a Christmas present. This is the time of year. Maybe buy somebody else a Christmas present. Buy your ticket and their ticket. Anyway, anytime you're dealing with Overland Expo, make sure you throw our name in there. Tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, if you're still riding with your stock pegs, or maybe you've got a a set of off-brand pegs, something that's not quite that good, you'll want to have a look at what IMS Products has to offer. They've got a full line of Adventure pegs. Um, They've been making products since 1976. They're serious in racing. I think just about every off-road racer in any major competition uh, is running some sort of IMS product. They make fuel tanks and shift levers and all types of other things. But it's the foot pegs I want you to have a look at. Their ADV-1 and ADV-2 foot pegs are some large platforms. If you like a large platform for a lot of control with your motorcycle, in particular, you're riding a large bike, um, you need that added leverage absolutely fantastic. They're made in the USA. They're made of the toughest materials. I know because I beat mine all the time and they come with a lifetime warranty. And that's one of those things that I just, I have trouble getting my head around sometimes because how many products do you find with a lifetime warranty? And these guys will stand behind it. You've got a problem with their pegs. You call them up. You're talking to people who not only design them, but they ride on them. They race on them. Uh, The company is run by X-Racers www.imsproducts.com. Look at their full line of adventure pegs, everything from large pegs to small pegs. If you're into even riding dirt bikes, and in particular, actually, if you're riding dirt bikes, they've got um, pegs for you. www.imsproducts, anytime you're dealing with them, throw our name in there. Let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Okay, now back to Carl with the big question. How important is it to do the valve adjustment on the specified mileage? If, if it says 12,000 kilometers, how important is it that you do it at that point, not before it, not after it? Because my, my thought process here, and I think many people think about this, is one person may ride the bike revving it out a lot more, which means the bike sees a lot more wear than the next person who may keep the RPMs lower. So how accurate are these intervals that they give us for valve adjustment checks? Yeah, I can, I can address that uh, based on my own experience, and that's a very good question. 
actually. And what I have found in, in my own engines and my own experience is just what you've alluded to. I have a uh, 2003 Ducati Multistrada, and uh, that engine, uh, I, I believe the, the valve clearance checking interval was like around 6,000 miles. And uh, uh, if it sounds like I'm not sure when it, what the interval is, uh, it, that's true. I don't because I'm one of those riders when I'm on that bike, I, I don't ride it very hard. And, and I remember the first couple of times I checked the valves, they had barely changed. And I was checking them on the regular interval specification. And so I began to realize that based on the way I ride the bike and, and the fact that I'm fairly gentle on the bike, uh, there's no need for me to do that. I checked the, the valves in that engine now probably on a mileage basis about every 15, 16,000 miles. I rarely see any wear in it. I haven't replaced that many shims in that setup. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, if someone had that same bike and rode it real hard and uh, ch you know checked the valve uh, clearances uh, and found that, wow, every time I check them on the regular interval period, I'm seeing dramatic changes in the lash, then they might want to check it, check it more often. And so your question is a very good one and very valid. Uh, it's something that the owner will probably need to learn to keep an eye on uh, if the way he rides the bike, uh, if he checks the valves at the normal uh, recommended interval, and he's seeing little or no wear uh, over three or four uh, consecutive uh, checks, then certainly he should could probably go longer. But if he's seeing an uh, excessive amount of wear, then he probably needs to check them sooner. I think the manufacturers, they assume a not worst case scenario, but they're hedging their bets that they don't want uh, any problems because of neglect. You know, I think they like to see you go in there a little bit more often than is probably absolutely necessary. But as your uh, question alluded to, it's uh, it will vary from uh, rider to rider, and it's something that the rider should pay close attention to and, and sort of get a feel for as they go along. That having been said, if in doubt, do it on the recommended interval uh, recommended by the manufacturer. Because the consequences of having a valve too tight. Yeah, if you have a valve too tight, which, you're, which you will do more than anything else, is you will probably burn uh, and, and a valve, an exhaust valve, and the engine will just not run very well. It, once the valves close up too much, if the last clearance closes up too much, the valves are going to be opening and closing at times very different than what the manufacturer had expected to happen, and that will affect the performance of the motor for sure. Uh, the modern engines that have electronic fuel injection, electronic uh, ignition, and they're monitoring things like uh, manifold uh, absolute pressure, things of that nature. They're expecting those valve events to occur at the correct time, and they're expecting that cylinder pressure to be a, a certain uh, cylinder pressure. And if the valve is too tight, uh, that's not going to be the case. And so the, the auxiliary systems will have a bit of a, a harder time monitoring uh, the engine and deciding what they should do, the signals they should send out. So yeah, it's definitely important to keep that lash at the recommended uh, specification. 
Is there any way to tell if the valves need to be adjusted from the outside using a stethoscope, leaning over with your hand, using a root from an apple tree, <laughs> anything like this? Because you do find some things on the internet where people are telling you, oh, you, you can tell by listening. And also, how accurate is the saying, noisy valves are happy valves? Yeah, I don't know about noisy valves, happy valves. Some valves are just naturally noisy. Some valve trains are just naturally noisy. Moto Guzzi V-Twin, the early V-Twin, the uh, 700 uh, and the 750 Ambassador, the 850 Eldorado, and even even the, the uh, uh, Le Mans engines, that generation of engines, those valve trains were noisy. And uh, you could probably adjust them down to almost zero and you're still going to hear noise. And that has to do with the cam grind, the way the valve, the cam action is, is sent down along the valve train. Uh, the, the way that the valve train is under basically a, a sound uh, uh, enhancing cover that a slight tick will sound a lot louder on the outside of that cover than it, than it might even underneath that cover. So some engines are just normally noisy. Uh, some engines are extremely quiet. Uh, I thought the early Suzuki's and the Kawasaki's and most of the modern four-cylinder engines are very quiet in the valve train, even though they're mechanical adjustment uh, valve trains. But if you have an engine and you're used to the noise, if you ride, as I say, if you ride a Moto Guzzi uh, every day, you're used to the noise. And, and if you suddenly hear a, an unusual noise, something sounds louder than normal, sure, that would be an indication. And if your valve train is normally loud and you don't hear any noise, yeah, that could be an indication that you might want to check it. But all in all, uh, I wouldn't view that as a, um, as a very logical method of deciding whether your your valve gear needs adjustment or not so what about being able to tell is there is there any way from the outside that you can tell um probably a compression test would be uh one thing that might tell you uh if you have low compression or uh in the cylinder the cylinder is not able to maintain pressure if your valves are not closed for the correct amount of time, let's say if the valve lash has closed up uh, dramatically and uh, the valves are hardly staying on the seat at all, you're not going to have, uh, you're not going to capture as much compression in that cylinder and so you, you would see a uh, lower compression. Uh, so a, a compression test might be able to tell you, but other than that, um, no, probably not. I, nothing that I would put a lot of, a lot of faith in, no. Well, I was thinking with the compression test, the, the one downside would be that you're not running hot. Like generally, by the time you get down to doing a compression test, the, the engine's not going to be hot. So you, you're, you're not going to have things expanded to the maximum and therefore it may not show up. And, and what I'm looking for here is if you're going to buy a bike that's, you know, from somebody else, how can you possibly tell if those, those valves have been adjusted? Is the compression test going to give you an accurate idea? It would sure be uh, it would sure be a warning to me if if, if I uh, check the compression on, on a bike and uh, obviously before you do that you want to have some good idea of what the compression should be and also uh, compression tests uh, not everyone understands how to do a compression test properly uh, and the way that you need to do a compression test is first of all uh, your throttle needs to be completely open when you do a compression test. 
either that or the carburetors or whatever has to be off the intake track. We're, we're trying to test the compression of the engine, not how much air is flowing through the carburetor. If, you, if, the, if the carburetor slides or throttle plates are closed, you're not going to be able to draw enough air into the motor to actually get an accurate compression test. So number one, it has to be open. The throttle has to be wide open when you do a compression test. And the other one is if you've got a Kickstarter, let's say, and you're kicking on the uh, engine to, to look at the compression, you can't just give it one or two kicks. You need to give it probably three, four, five, six kicks to pump that gauge up to the highest reading that it's going to give you. Uh, if it might take you four or five kicks, and on the first kick, let's say if it jumps up to 80, and the second one, it jumps up to 120, and then the third one, it goes up to 150, and then to 155, and then it kind of hangs there at 155. That's your compression, is 155. Uh, you can't just give it one kick. If you have an electric starter, of course, uh, that's much easier. You can uh, just put your thumb on the button, crank the motor, watch that pressure gauge, let it, let it bump up to its highest reading, and that's your compression. And to go back to what you were asking about the um, hot engine versus cold engine, nothing to keep you from doing a compression test on a hot engine. Nothing to keep you from doing one on a cold motor and then rechecking it when it's hot. Uh, really isn't anything to stop you from doing that. Uh, the compression on a good motor, you should get good compression whether the engine is hot or cold. So um, there shouldn't be a dramatic amount of difference in, in the motor. If there was, I would probably follow the compression test up with a leak down test where you actually introduce a pressure into the cylinder and then you monitor uh, for leakage. You listen at the exhaust port, you listen at the intake port, you take the drain plug out of the motor, listen to the crankcase if you can hear any any air coming, you know, leaking out through the crankcase, and, and try to get some idea if, if the compression is low, uh, where that where that might be going. Any any other ways where you could confirm that the previous owner has had has done the valve adjustment check? No, you just have to rely on the you know, on the owner to be uh, up front with you. Um, you can always take the the motorcycle in question if you're thinking about buying a motorcycle. Uh, take it to a shop. Uh, take it to someone you trust. Have them go over to the motor. Most most uh, people who are interested in selling a bike, if, if they're legitimate, uh, I haven't found most people that uh, would object to that. And... Uh, have the bike checked out and see how it looks. Uh, you know, let the mechanic tell you, boy, it looks like there's some wear in here, you know, and, and uh, it, the guy might have just done, done the valve job, had a, had a valve adjustment done, uh, you know, the day before he put it up for sale. That's something you'd probably want to know. But uh, I, I would recommend that you just have the engine checked over uh, by a mechanic that you trust. And if the owner doesn't agree to that, well, you know, there's plenty of other bikes where that one came from, probably. So uh, you have to use your judgment a little bit there. Well, if you are one of the probably fewer people nowadays that are adjusting your own valves or checking your own valve adjustment, um, if you're in there doing it, what do you go for? Do you go for, they, they give you a specification range from, from a certain thickness to, a, to another thickness, uh, smaller to larger where do you set them? Do you set them in the middle? Do you set them at the low range or do you set them at the high range? 
That is another really good question. And I had that same question when I um, had some specialty cams ground for one of my uh, racing engines. And I was given a specification sheet that said I could adjust the uh, exhaust valve anywhere from 12 to 16 thousandths, which was four thousandths, which seemed to me to be uh, quite a range. Uh, some engines, uh, four thousandths would be the total amount of lash. Uh, and so I thought that was a, a fairly large, large range. And I contacted the cam manufacturer and went even a step beyond that and contacted the cam lobe designer himself. And the answer that I got was really interesting and, and, and fairly uh, enlightening in that we were talking uh, early on in the discussion about the ramps of the cam, which are the slow, slowly gathering, uh, uh, it's a slow sloping geometry that is going to take up the lash and and then very gently get the valve moving before it actually delivers the valve train to the flank of the cam where the actual acceleration takes place. The ramp on that cam uh, would still deliver the uh, valve train onto the flank of the cam smoothly enough as long as I was within that range, I could run at 10, I mean 12, I could run at 16. Even at 16, I'm not going to overshoot the flank and, and hit directly on, uh, uh, on the flank of the cam. And even down as low as 12, I'm still going to have the valve on the seat for plenty of time. And the valve timing would virtually be the same in relation to the crankshaft position. So my answer to that question would be anywhere within that range would be fine. My suggestion would be if you are out on the outer edge of say if the, if the clearance uh, is two to, two to four, let's say, and you're at four, yeah, you could leave it there, but I would probably try to tighten it up to three. If it was right at, at two, I might want to open it up to three. Uh, the point being, anywhere in that range is probably okay, but if you're at the extremes, then you might want to uh, make an adjustment that puts you more toward the, the middle of the range. Because the middle of the range is probably where the, where the ramps of those cams really are. If you draw them out on paper, the middle of that range is probably what the optimum would be. Are there any signs that um, the valves are too tight or any things that the bike will do that will tell you that it's a possibility? The first thing that will probably happen is that the idle quality will degrade. You will notice that the, that if the bike might not idle well. It will tend to, to, to die at idle, uh, possibly hard starting, uh, possibly some backfiring when you're trying to start it. Uh, it just start acting temperamental, un unusually temperamental uh, at the lower engine speeds. Uh, that would be uh, one uh, one warning sign that the valves might be too tight. Yeah, and the other is just an overall degradation of performance. If the valves are too tight, the the engine is probably not going to run quite as well as when uh, all the clearances are are proper. So uh, that would be another indication. But you normally see it. Uh, first uh, at the lower engine speeds and, and idle especially. 
You mentioned a little while ago about the Ducati Desmo system. That's a completely different style um, valve train. Yes, yes it is. It's a uh, system that uses a uh, cam lobe and rocker arm both for the opening and the closing uh, rather than using a spring to close the valve. Uh, they have a rocker arm and a uh, cam lobe that does that. There is a small hairpin spring in the system, but that's primarily for starting to make sure that the valve is sitting on its seat uh, during starting uh, uh, because you you will or can run those engines with uh, with up to four to six thousandths clearance on the closing rocker, and the uh, the engines will run fine, but they might be very hard to start. So uh, they put that hairpin spring in there to make sure the valves sit on their seats. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a different system. Uh, it requires uh, extreme care when you're adjusting it. There's very little room for error. You will wipe out very expensive parts uh, very quickly if you get that wrong. So uh, for the average owner, if you're not comfortable with that, I'm, I'm afraid you probably have no choice but to turn that over to a qualified and I want to un underline qualified uh, mechanic to work on that valve train. It's not one that everyone is familiar with uh, or knows how to work on. Uh, it's definitely an animal of its own. And uh, just because somebody is very competent or familiar with uh, some other type of valve train, uh, all bets are off when it comes to the Desmo. You need experience with that valve train. Carl, great to talk to you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome, Jim. Thank you. And that was Carl Engelinner from his home shop in Roseville, California. And I hope that demystified some things for you. It helps you understand how your engine works and uh, maybe answer some questions about your valve clearance adjustments, all in an effort to help us better understand our motorcycles. This episode was made possible in part by Max BMW at maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com, MotoBreeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. That about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much. We couldn't do it without you. Of course, we wouldn't. Why would we? Anyway, it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. If you're socked in for winter or you're getting that way, I guess you got to think about Christmas time. You know, it's Christmas is coming up, and hey, when you're out there shopping for something... Check out our advertisers first, will you? Check out those people who, who support the show and, and support them in turn. Anyway, my name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. See you next week. Thanks. Um, I'm Graham Field, Overland Travel Author, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Adventure Rider Radio.